The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We're in the middle of the series, Love God, Love People, a dive deeper into how to live out the great commandment. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Today's episode is entitled, Loving God with Our Minds. Loving God with Our Minds means we learn to think like God, not just think about Him. Here's Pastor Brian Jones. Well, as we uh, continue to develop and grow in a uh, spirit of worship, let me just encourage you that uh, if you're in a good season, that uh, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? And so I don't know about you, but in times of good seasons, that's actually where I'm most at risk sometimes. It's not the difficult seasons for me, it is the bad seasons where I find myself just subject to get distracted or busy. So I just want to encourage you every Sunday you show up, if you're in a good season, celebrate that season. But do it from a posture of worship. And also, uh, if you're in a season where you're struggling right now, I was just thinking about the fact that there are nights where I've not been able to sleep and I've woke up in the middle of the night and God has given me a song. Worship is powerful in good times, but it becomes a wrecking ball in the middle of the night. And so I just encourage you, whatever that looks like, thank you for worshiping and seeking God. I'm excited to continue uh, in this series. If you're a newbie, let me just say good morning to you. If this is your first time at Brookwood, I'm also a newbie of a couple months, and I'm hoping you'll find Brookwood to be as amazing as I have. Uh, If you're a veteran, welcome. Uh, We're continuing in a series on love God and love people. And I've been sharing that the religious leaders, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were trying to trap him. They had 613 commandments that they followed, and they were all ranking which ones they thought were most important. So in essence, they went to Jesus thinking they were going to trap him. They asked this question, which is the most important commandment? And to their surprise, Jesus actually answered. And he said, to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and with your strength. And what I've been unpacking is that Jesus was not meaning something general when he talked about loving God, that he meant something specific with each part of those things that he mentioned. So first, he wants us to love him with our hearts, with our hearts. And this is really where your will and your commitment take place. Your heart is where you make a decision for or against God. And what God does is he takes your heart of stone, the Bible says, and he gives you a heart of flesh. So your job is now to guard your heart. But then last week I spoke about what it means to love God with your soul. And that is really your affections and your emotions. And I I suggested that Jesus was the most emotionally integrated person on planet earth. Now if the soul has to do with the affections and the emotions, then the mind, to love God with our mind is this, it is to love him with our intelligence and our thoughts. In fact, if you're just gonna jot down a phrase, I would sum up the idea of loving God like this. It is thinking like God, not just about him. See, what God is calling us to do is not just think affectionately about him, but to learn to think like him, to take on the mind of Christ. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2.5 in the King James Version. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so, in essence, for years, I just thought, you know, what matters is that I love God, but 
I didn't have this sort of approach that everything in my life, from my job to my kids to the way that I manage my money, God has a specific mindset that he wants me to have. He wants to speak into those things. And so, in essence, what I did for years is I almost had this like sacred and secular approach. And so I'd come to church, and that was the sacred place. I'd read the Bible, and that was a sacred place. But how I talked to my kids, or what I spent my money on, or how I used my free time, or how I engaged with my neighbors, I really didn't think God cared about that. And so in essence, to love God with your mind means every area of your life, you have the knowledge, the mind of Christ. Now, isn't it true that in our culture and society, there have been so many fractures and landmines people have had in this past season? In fact, let me just show you a couple that have been subjects of contention that have fractured the church almost. I mean, you have subjects like work, kids, alcohol, politics, race, abortion, health, women, homosexuality, culture, money, success. Now, I just want to say this, uh, some of you know that I am not stepping into the role of being senior pastor until the summer. And so, if you have any questions on any of these subjects, <laughs> our current and founding pastor, Perry Duggar, would love to answer all of your questions, and so make sure you find him. But here's the thing that I know Perry would say. He would say, what, what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? What does the mind of God say? The problem we have right now is we are listening to the mind of culture. We're listening to the mind of religious leaders. We're listening to the mind of celebrities. And what God wants you to do in every area of your life is take on the mind of Christ to let Him speak into what the current situation you're facing is. For years, even when it comes to subjects like work, I never had the mindset of Christ in work. In fact, I had two opposite extremes for work for a lot of my life. For one season, I treated work like an idol. I found my identity in work. I loved what I did. I found a sense of success and purpose in work. And then for other seasons, when I didn't have a good job or a good boss, I didn't treat it like an idol. I had an idleness in work. In fact, I just remember I'd be at work, not really doing that great of a job, and reading the Word of God as though my theology of work didn't matter, that God wouldn't have anything to say about how I treat my work. And yet, when you read the Word of God, this is what it says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, meaning that your boss is not your boss on this earth. Your boss is God. You work unto the Lord. There is a theology, a mindset you should have with your work. Even subjects like health. For years, the people who always speak about treating your body right, you ever notice they're like the religious fitness fanatics? And so I'd always just sort of write them off and go, yeah, that's that person who like wakes up and does CrossFit at 4 a.m. and tries to oppress me to do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, it's like it just hit me one day. Imagine I was selling you my house. And I sold you my house, and then we get done with the closing, and then I say to you, hey, by the way, I, I sold you the house, but I'm keeping the smallest bedroom. And so you won't see me much. I'm going to stay just in that space, so I hope you're cool with it. Do you think you guys would be, that's awesome? Why? Because you bought the whole house. You paid for the whole house. And for years of my life, I would say things like, God, I give you my heart. 
God, I give you my soul, but I will not give you my body. But yet Jesus bought everything in 1 Corinthians 6. And so there's a mindset that we have to have, even when it comes to the way you get rest, the way you treat your body, there's a mindset we are to have. It's not enough to think affectionately about God and then not take every area of your life and ask what the Spirit of God wants to speak or direct or guide you in. And this was transformative for me because I realized every one of those areas, in every season I'm in, the Holy Spirit wants to speak specific words to guide so that I would take on the mind of Christ. Now, I can't go through every subject that we mentioned and every subject you're navigating. So what I want to do today is just give you a few principles that will help you with whatever it is that you're navigating. Uh, Some principles that will give you a biblical mindset so that you can love God with your mind and be in a place where you can hear his voice and discern what he might be saying to you. And what I want to do is I want to look at 1 Peter 4, 7, which is also the memory verse Uh, And this is what it says in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray, so that you may pray. The first mindset that I want you to have when it comes to loving God with your mind is that loving God with your mind means living with the end in mind. Loving God with your mind means living with the end in mind. Do you ever think about the fact that that we have had to reorient our whole life based on certain cultural crises? Let me just show you a couple that have changed the way that we live our lives. The first one you'll see behind, if you remember, this was when Columbine school shooting happened. Remember the horror and the tragedy of this? Like you couldn't even believe that this kind of evil was possible, and now it's like every week, month, you're hearing reports. But this changed the way that people thought about school. It changed the way people thought about dropping off their kids or their grandkids. It's the first time in our society where police officers were now assigned to schools. It changed the way the culture engaged in that crisis. Take the next one, the the stock market crash. This changed the way that people invested in their futures. It changed the way people thought about retirement. Even this changed the way that banks did background checks to give people loans because of the way that the culture was just going in that particular moment. So this crisis caused people to reorient even the way they got particular loans. Or you take the next one. Right here you have September 11th. And you think about that, the the horror and the tragedy of terrorist attacks. And as a result of this, this crisis changed the way that you go to the airport, the way that you experience screening the way that you think about flying, and even COVID. COVID changed the way that a lot of people engaged in church, changed the way that certain people ran businesses and the idea of working remote. It even changed the way some of us viewed toilet paper. (laughs) You think about that. I had pastor friends meeting people in parking lots and paying premiums for toilet paper like it was contraband. Now, out of curiosity, this is the house of the Lord, so you must be honest. How many of you didn't just buy like one pack of toilet paper? It's the house of the Lord. How many of you bought way too much? A lot of you. May God have mercy on your souls. (laughs) But you think about it. It changed the way we, the way you experience things. You reorient your life based on certain crises. And what Peter wants you to get at the start of this thing is that there is a particular crisis that he is speaking about, but it's not a cultural one. It's a spiritual one. 
It's an eternal one. And here is the crisis that every one of us will have a last day on this earth. And we will stand before a holy God. And we will have to give an account for our lives. Or that Jesus, the Bible says, will return unexpectedly. And some people won't be ready for this crisis. Some people's hearts and souls won't be in a place where they're ready to respond to God. In fact, listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, for you know quite well the day of the Lord's return will come what? Unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Can you just for a moment ask yourself honestly, are you really ready to meet with Jesus today? Not tomorrow. There's a lot of people that spend their lives going, hey, one day I'm going to get serious about God. One day I'm going to do this with the kids. One day I'm going to have this conversation. Isn't it true you can spend a lifetime saying one day? Or, or maybe even a room like this. Is there something that you just find yourself hiding? Like something that people around you don't exactly know, so, so there's something that is just weighing on your soul? You know, it's almost like if you try to hold a beach ball underwater, that pressure of what it's trying to do is it's trying to surface. And oftentimes those sins, what they, they do in our lives is they try to surface, but the Bible says there will be a day when that surfaces. Maybe sooner, maybe when you stand before God. And the invitation is God does not want you to carry that. He wants you to confess that and find healing. He wants you to be ready for this great crisis. You know, are there people in your life, friends and family, are they ready? Are your neighbors ready? Are the people that are surrounding you, are they really ready to meet with God? What Peter's saying is we have to have people that reorient their lives, that step out of their comfort zone, that change the way they live because there is a real crisis. There will be a day when all of us stand before a holy God. One of the things I love about Brookwood, I've been going to different small groups, I think I'm in 20 or something small groups, and I ask this question, how did you get to Brookwood? Do you know what I love? Is like the most repeated thing is, I had this neighbor or this coworker that wouldn't leave me alone. Just kept pestering me. And I came to church. I was talking to a guy last week and he said that he was just living this colorful life. He said, you know, I would bring different women over to my house and finally one day my neighbor came up to me and she said, enough with this. And she said, it's time to come to church. Don't you wish she had more boldness in that moment? And he said, I came to church and it was like everything I was trying to find and other things I found it in the presence of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You go story after story of people who have been able to reorient their lives because someone saw in light of what Peter's saying, there will be a day when you stand before God. So let me just do something just for the risk of being uncomfortable. What I want to do this morning is this. You know, even as I'm speaking, some of you, there's just a, there's a name that comes to your mind of someone who you know, a family member, a neighbor, a friend, someone who is not right with God and you know they're not ready to stand before God right now. And so what I want you to do is, if you have that, I just want to give you 30 seconds or so right in the middle of this sermon just to pray. And if you don't, here's what I want to ask you to do for 30 seconds. It might make you a little uncomfortable, but I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you bring someone to mind in my path that's not ready? Just take 30 seconds right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you give clarity? Would you place someone on our heart this morning?
All right, as the Holy Spirit maybe brought someone to mind, I want to do something. I know I've only been here a few months, but uh, I want to make you a little uncomfortable because what I want to do is on the count of three, what I'm going to do, I, I want to just count to three, and I want you to say aloud the name of the person that God put on your heart. If the person sitting next to you, we'll just call them James, so we'll go code word, all right? <laughs> but I, I want you, every one of you, whatever it is, if it's a friend, a neighbor, child who's not ready to meet with God, on the count of three, what I want you to do when I say one, two, three, I want you just to say their name aloud. Can you do it? You're not convincing me. Thank you. One, two, three. Will you? Will you? Reorient your life in light of that crisis. If you sit in here, you have the hope of Jesus. What Peter's saying is, will you reorient your life so that those people around you will have that same hope? And can I just implore you, implore you, if you're here in this room and you don't know Jesus, I don't believe it's one day. I believe it's the day. The day is the day of salvation. God brought you here. And what the Bible says is if you give God your sin, he'll give you all of his righteousness. It's the great exchange. And so if that's you, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you will be saved. So can I encourage you? What Peter is saying is reorient your life based on this crisis. Every one of those crises I just mentioned, they were all unexpected. People weren't fully prepared. And so in essence, what I, I love what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, Lord, would you stamp eternity on my eyeballs? Would you cause me to live with such a sense of urgency to reorient my life? Because the truth is, it is so easy to spend your life on comfort and pleasures and success. And yet, Peter's going, don't do that. Reorient your life on this great crisis. This is the first thing. The second thing, to love God with our mind, is that we have to be people that are sober mind. We have to be sober minded in all we say and do. We've got to become people that are sober-minded. Now, the, the term sober-minded here literally means in the Greek, it means to be sane. It means to be sound in mind. It means to be in your right mind. And one of the things that, that this actually compares, if you think about it, someone who's sober-minded, they're in their right mind. What is it comparing? Someone who's intoxicated. Someone who's not in their right mind. Someone who does not have control of their thoughts. Someone who's spinning out of control. And it's interesting, this word is actually um, referenced in the story of the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. After he is out of his mind, he encounters Jesus, and this same word is used to show that once he was out of control, now he has a sober-mindedness. He is in his right mind. And can I just encourage you with this? Maybe you're in here. Isn't it interesting? You can walk into a room one week and everything will be great. Your life can be good. You could be winning in your business. Your kids are great. Isn't it interesting? The next week you can walk in and it just feels like you are spinning out of control in your mind. You just have fears or thoughts or worries or ambitions or distractions. One moment you can be in here and you can be on fire for Jesus, singing from a soulful place. And the next week you can be like a million miles away because it's one thing to be in a room. It's another thing to have your heart awakened to the things of God. And so can I just encourage you, if you're in this room and you feel like you're spinning out of control with thoughts or fears or worries, can I just say there really is hope? That what you're walking through really is a season. And I believe what God might want to do is strengthen you in this season in a supernatural way. 
Now, I got to confess to you, we're, we have a problem in the Jones household. Now, I will confess to you, this is a first world problem because my son has uh, been really upset because he moved and his mascot was a dinosaur. He was a Dodd dinosaur. And so now he's at Monarch. And so he is devastated that his mascot is a butterfly. <laughs> and so I've tried, I've literally been researching uh, things on butterflies. And so basically I couldn't find anything great, so I told him, I lied to him, I'm sorry, I told him they were tack butterflies. And so may God forgive me of that, but don't tell my son otherwise. But you know, um, in my studies of butterflies, of all things, you know, there's a, there's a spot when a butterfly is actually moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly, and it has this chrysalis phase. And what's interesting is in that chrysalis phase, what happens is the butterfly, it is beginning to feel this resistance, this pressure, this strain, this crushing. Now, if you saw this butterfly in this chrysalis phase, your natural tendency would be going, I want to help this thing. I want to free this butterfly. But if you were to release it from this chrysalis phase too early, you would rob it of its future. It would not be able to fly because that pressure and that strain and that weight and that resistance is what allows it to develop the strength so that it can fly into the future that it has. Can I just say that sometimes whatever it is that you are facing, that resistance, that strain, that pressure, it is not all evil, it is the kindness of God who is wanting to come and strengthen you and give you a future and a life and a joy and a power and a spirit you would never have without that season of resistance. Amen? But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to keep you from being sober-minded. What the enemy wants you to do is be uncertain and overwhelmed. And what sober-mindedness does is it says, even though I am walking through difficult things, even though there's uncertainty and it's not enjoyable, I will be grounded in biblical truth. I will take on the mind of Christ, which is this. If Jesus can take an instrument, the cross, that had no good ever associated, was a tool of suffering and evil, and now he can make that thing the hope of the world, then what that means is to take on the mind of Christ means you can have a sober-mindedness that those things that are coming against you and crushing you will not be used to destroy you but actually deliver you in the name of Jesus. Amen? And so that's what it means to have a sober-mindedness. What I find so interesting about this text, do you know that Peter and the Christians in this particular text, they are experiencing widespread persecution? They're experiencing it from Rome and the emperor. In fact, what I find really interesting is in the midst of this particular text, Peter speaks about the fact of guarding your heart and being sober-minded. But listen to what he says in 1 Peter 2.7 about an emperor that is actually oppressing the Christian people. He says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, the emperor at this time was a man named Nero. It's a wicked man. In fact, there are stories. One of the things Nero would do is he would take Christians, he would douse them in tar, and then he would use them, they would use them as nocturnal lights. And so in essence, what would happen is there'd be these dinner parties that he would have, and he would use Christians as human torches. Just horrible stuff. Stories of him actually drilling into Christians' head, pouring molten metal. Stories of, of Christians being thrown into the beast or the arenas with wild beasts. 
And yet Peter has the audacity to say this to the very man that's persecuting Christians. And interesting enough, Peter would actually be killed under this emperor. So the very man that ends up taking Peter's life, that is killing Christians, Peter says, honor this man. It's like, Pete, really? Honor the very man that's killing Christians. Why would Peter say this? Because he understood that being sober-minded really does matter to God. He understands that, that even though things might be spinning out of control and it seems like there's difficulties in your life, that a sober-mindedness says, even if I can't see it, I will trust that God is really in control and heaven is not surprised. And so in essence, you know, one of the things, just in full disclosure, one of the things that I have been praying for for this church, for other churches around, is the 2024 election. Because can I just humbly submit that it felt like the last few years what the church has not had, what the people of God have not had is a sober-mindedness. And I'm not telling you to not be involved in politics. I'm just saying what the Bible would say is whoever's in the Oval Office does not trump who's running the King of Kings or the heavens and the universe and the galaxies. Amen? So it doesn't mean you're not involved. It just means you can have a sober-mindedness in whatever it is you're facing that you can still take on the mind of Christ, that there is no such thing as sacred, sacred and secular, that the way you think about politics, the way you think about the future, the way that you think about your money is as much worship as you coming and singing songs to Jesus, and he's calling you to take the mind of Christ in every area. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't have bad days. It doesn't mean that you won't have fear, but you can have a sober-mindedness that God is still working in the midst of this. And so this is why we are called to do this. Now, how do you get to this place? Because if you're anything like me, when you're in that space where you feel a little intoxicated or spinning out of control with some fears and doubts, you go, that's great, but walk a mile in my shoes. And yet this is what it says in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So in essence, the way that you get, what, what Paul's saying here is really revolutionary. If you don't spend time with God, if you don't spend time in his word, what he's saying is you're going to be conformed to the ways of the world. You're going to be intoxicated with fear, ambition, and greed. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but most of us would admit the culture we're in it is not getting better. There is more anxiety, fear, uncertainty than ever before. Ambition that's spinning out of control. Paul says if you don't be intentional about meeting with God, spending time with Him, praying and spending time in His Word, what's going to happen is you're going to conform to the ways of the world. But when you meet with God, you get the mind of God, and thus you become transformed in your thinking. And so that's why you can look at evil emperors and go, even though I can't see it with my eyes, God is still in control and sovereign. Even if it might cost me my life, even if this health report isn't good, even if I've been praying for my kids, the job doesn't make sense, I don't know where the next check is going to come from, I can have a sober-mindedness, not a blind naivety, but a sober-mindedness that God is still in control. And so as you meet with God, you get his mind, you get a, a sober-mindedness, not an intoxication of fear. Now, part of the reason, can I just say this, I wish I had a whole sermon to preach on this, but, but part of the reason that sober-mindedness is so difficult is I think sometimes in our stories, in our preaching of the gospel, we, we have taken the narrative of Satan and demons and spiritual warfare out there. 
Because what the enemy does is he preys on fear and uncertainty. He preys on all of these negative thoughts. Spiritual warfare really happens around your mind. And what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to have almost an intoxication of fear. And so if you take a spiritual warfare out of there, then you miss the fact that there is an enemy that's resisting you being grounded in truth, being alert. It's interesting. Notice what Peter says. Be sober-minded and alert. Why alert? Because he goes on in 1 Peter 5, 8 to say that same thing, that your enemy, the devil, be alert, prowls around like a what? A lion. Proof that God hates cats as well, right there. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. It really wasn't. But can I just say, if you take Satan out of your gospel, you will turn people into demons and satanic figures. You will not have a sober-mindedness. So what Peter is saying here is we've got to reorient our lives around the crisis that we will all stand before God, but you've also got to be sober-minded with whatever it is that you're facing, and the way that you get this sober mind is you spend time meeting with God, and he will transform your thoughts. Here's the third thing. Loving God with our minds means we are becoming people of prayer. We are becoming people of prayer. This is really fascinating and revolutionary what Peter is saying here. Listen to this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded. But you notice what he says here? Notice he doesn't say, and pray. He says, be sober-minded and alert so that you can pray. Like, this For many years, people have treated prayers, I'm like this, that prayer is almost a means to get something. And so in essence, I pray so that God will give me blessings. I pray so that I will get peace. And so prayer is a means to something. What is so fascinating, what Peter is suggesting is here, is that prayer isn't just a means, it's the end. The essence is you don't go to God to get things, you go to God to get God. His presence is better than any blessing. To get lost, remember what it says? Better is one day in your courts than a thousands elsewhere. In your presence is what? The fullness of joy. Can I just say sometimes when I need the entertainment of the world is because I have lost the joy of God. I've missed something and I think it's his blessings or his mercies and he does want to pour out mercies. But what Peter is saying here is so revolutionary. It is in the presence of God when you pray where you encounter the Spirit. It's where He speaks to you. It's where you begin to get knowledge. It's where God gives you His mind on that particular place. And so it is in your prayer room. It is in your prayer closet. It is when you get alone with God that He begins to speak and give you His mind. Your public power is directly correlated to your private prayer life. Your public power is directly correlated to your private prayer life. Why? Because in prayer is where you counter the Spirit of God. It's where you can get lost in His presence. It's where He speaks a word that transforms your life. It's where you experience Him and His kindness. And so what's so amazing about this, now you pray about this and you, you see if you feel the same thing, but I feel like when Peter's speaking about this, he's almost speaking with a little regret. Because this is what he says. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Do you remember right before Jesus was crucified, he took three disciples with him and he invited them to pray. And do you remember what happened? They fell asleep. And how many times did he fall asleep? Three. And so it's almost like Peter is going, hey, don't make the same mistake I did. Because when you looked at that story, right, of 
Jesus praying, it doesn't look like Jesus is doing great. I mean, he is sweating drops of blood. He's in agony. Dare I say, he looks anxious. And then you see these disciples that are just like, hey, Jesus, why don't you take a nap? And they're just calm. And yet, when the crisis happens, every one of those disciples flee. And yet, Jesus goes boldly forward. Why? Because there is something transformative in the power of prayer. And Peter was asleep before. And now as he faces this crisis with this Roman emperor, notice what he's saying. He's saying, in this crisis, I'm going to stay awake. The Spirit of God is going to speak to me, and as he speaks to me, he's going to give me a sober-mindedness. He's going to help me prioritize what's really important in life, which is not my 401k plan. It's not my life. It's the gospel moving forward, and it's people reorient their lives based on this crisis. And so he's going, I invite you to do the same. Don't fall asleep. It is so easy to spend your life on the trivial things. I am guilty, guilty, guilty of this. And then yet you encounter a passage like this, and Peter's going, don't waste your one life. You blink and it's over. So pray so that you can have the Spirit of God, so that you can be awakened to these things. Now, my desire, if you ask me, what is my desire for everyone in Brookwood? It would simply be this. I would love a church that is able to hear from God where you can encounter his spirit, his spirit in new ways. You can experience his joy. And that's why I'm excited. Perry's going to be speaking in a couple weeks on the second commandment, which is love others. But then after that, he's going to be spending five weeks talking about hearing God and what that looks like for the spirit of God to speak to us and guide that. That is my prayer. I want to invite you as well. 8.15 on Sunday mornings, there's a group of people who get together and they pray for this service every single week. I invite you to seek God to reorient your life partly around prayer. I love what Philippians 4, 6, 7 says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And notice this, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And let me just read this quote from E.M. Bounds because some of you are going, hey, I feel very comfortable with prayer. Some of you, you're intimidated by prayer. You're going, I don't really know what that looks like to spend time in prayer. Every time I pray, I get distracted. I feel like my mind's going crazy. Listen to what E.M. Bounds says. He says, prayer makes a godly man, and he puts with him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we'll quit. But notice this, prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in a closet. Can I just encourage you, because some of you, you're, you're very comfortable with prayer, but I was a pastor, you know, seven, eight years ago, and I'll be honest with you, I was not very good at praying. And so I just felt challenged in my spirit that I needed to learn how to pray, that I need to begin to pray. So this should encourage you, because I was a pastor at this time. And I said, you know what, I'm going to pray my guts out. I'm going to get with God. I'm just going to pray, you know, fire. I'm going to pray the word of the Lord. I'm going to do all this. I sat down to pray, and I was like, wow, that was a good session. And I looked down, and I was like, God, what do we hit, 45 minutes, 50 minutes? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. And so I just want to encourage you, do not go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray all night. Because what we don't talk about a lot is sometimes you just have to develop the muscle of prayer. Because you know the people like New Year's resolutions, if you're anything like me, it's like the person who's like, you know what, I've been slacking on my body, it's time to get this thing in line. Then you go to the gym and you work out four hours and it's the last time you ever go back that year. It's like that's what we do with prayer sometimes. 
It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get slain in the spirit. I'm going I'm to ask for God to speak to me. And then all of a sudden, you just go, eight minutes? Really? That's all I got? The length does not matter. But as you spend time with God, as you start to draw near to God, over time, I mean, how did you learn how to ride a bike? How did you learn how to barbecue? How did you learn how to raise kids? You just started doing it. And somewhere after a while, it became this self-fulfilling prophecy that as you began to do these things, you developed a confidence. So can I just encourage you, as you begin to pray, if you're comfortable, keep praying. Ask God to reveal more of who he is, to give you more of the spirit, to make you more aware of those things. But if you're in a spot where you're intimidated and you don't pray, just take a step forward. Let me just close with this. There's a story of Abraham Lincoln. And it was said about Abraham Lincoln that for the majority of his life, he suffered with these mood swings and headaches. And his aide actually in 1850 said that he had such severe headaches that they would actually give him a paralysis. And one of the things they found out about Abraham Lincoln is he was taking this pill called Blue Mass. Now you ask, what is Blue Mass? It is a peppercorn-sized pill containing licorice root, rose water, honey, sugar, and wait for it, pure liquid mercury. Now, he changed his mind on these pills, and it's reported, surprise, that once he stopped taking these pills, his health increased. Now, the point here is simple. Had he not changed his mind about what he was doing, at minimum, it would have affected the quality of his life. But ultimately, it probably would have killed him. And if you and I don't change our mindsets on whatever it is that we're facing or whatever it is that is keeping us sober-minded or keeping us from praying or keeping us from reorienting our lives, at minimum, it will affect the quality of your life, but it could kill you, spiritually speaking. That's why he says you have to reorient your life around what matters most, which is the kingdom of God and taking on the mind of God and hearing from God so that everything else grows strangely dim. So what in your life do you need to cut out as we close today? Is there anything in your life that is, that is causing you to not have a sober-mindedness? And then the next invitation is to pray. Begin to pray. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to close out right now, and I'm going to ask the, the care volunteers to come forward. And if there's something that, as we've been speaking today, that God's put on your heart, one of those names you mentioned of a family member, a loved one, a relative, I just encourage you to come down here and let them pray over that person. Or maybe you're in this spot where you know there's something that's keeping you from being sober-minded and you want to release something. Maybe you're in a really, really great spot and you're just asking for the Holy Spirit to awaken you deeper in prayer. But instead of just talking about prayer, I invite you to come down here and let people pray over you or ask a care volunteer out there to pray over you. But whatever it is, team would be glad to serve you. Let me just pray as we close out our time together that God would help us to continue to love him with our mind. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the God of the masses, but somehow you are such the God of the individual that you don't want to just meet with us. You want to speak to each and every one of us about every area in our lives. I'm just reminded of what David said. What is man that you are mindful of them? What a gift that a holy God wants to speak, direct, and guide us. I pray that this week as people in this room, brothers and sisters start meeting with you. Maybe some for the first time as they begin to pray that you would begin to reveal yourself to them, that you would begin to speak in new ways. For those who are close to you, God, I pray that they would go deeper and deeper and deeper than they have ever been before. They would encounter you. So God, we just want to be people 
this morning who love you with our mind. And Jesus, we're grateful for the gift of eternal life we have in you. We are grateful that many of us in this room have responded to the crisis of standing before you and we're ready. So God, I just thank you for today. It is in your amazing, mighty, wonderful name. We pray everyone agreed and said amen. Well, hey, blessings to you. You have a wonderful week. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us today. This week, meditate on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Which words, phrases, or ideas are most significant to you? Based on verse 8, write down the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and praiseworthy. Think about these things every day this week. Here's our memory verse. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. In our next episode, we'll continue the series, Love God, Love People. To prepare, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And please subscribe to this podcast. If you like what you hear, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.